I alone bear witness about myself. My testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a bright and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Would you bow your heads again, please? Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would cause it to take deep root in our hearts to transform us, that if anyone here does not know Christ and has not seen the light of life in your son, that they would come to know that from this passage today. That for your people, we might be encouraged and established, built up with power to testify wherever we may be at any time. Thank you for your spirit now and trust you during this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are inching our way through the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And as we come to this passage today, it seems worthwhile to, by way of reminder, to say that we are talking, we're looking at, rather, Jesus' conversation with the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, um, after having healed a man who was completely lame, unable to walk for 38 years, who was expecting and hoping for a healing for some time at this pool of Bethesda, but had all but given up his hope entirely of finding that healing. Jesus then appears in his life, asks him this important question, do you want to be healed? The man seems to be taken aback in a sense and almost perhaps offended. Are you kidding me? Why do you think I'm here? Of course I want to be healed. Jesus' implication is that you're going to the wrong place for this healing. You don't need this pool. You need the Son of God. He then heals him. John, the author, makes a note that this was done on the Sabbath, which draws the attention of the leaders. In fact, it should have been the healing that drew the attention of the leaders of the people, but it was the fact that he did it on the Sabbath that drew their attention and ultimately their accusation. Why is it that this man is healing on the Sabbath? Jesus' answer, my father's working until now and I am working. This claim then taken by the leaders as a claim to deity, a claim to godness, that he was the son of God, equal with God himself. Verse 18, again, by way of reminder, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus then explains this accusation. He doesn't explain it away. He doesn't excuse himself, but he affirms it and he goes deeper and he expresses how this, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son works, that there's an element of submission, that there's an equality of power and of, of working together, and that all these things did not move him away from this accusation, but rather he brought it deeper. He brought a deeper explanation and ultimately his mission itself in this passage. We talked last week about the future judgment to come. And this terrifying day, an hour in which, verse 29 says, those who will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And we saw that Christ is offering himself as a substitute to take that judgment on behalf of all who believe, who, those who have done good being those who have put their faith in the one who would be their substitute 
So as we come to today's passage, we're actually opening up in this larger speech, this larger almost a sermon of Jesus to the Pharisees. We're coming to the last section of it, and we're going to take it in two different parts, rather three different parts. Today we're going to look specifically at this matter of personal testimony. And that the passage that we ended with, verse 35, uh, lands us thinking again about John the Baptist, who we dealt with in the beginning of this book. And he is now being brought up once again. Jesus is using him as an example of the first sign or the first evidence of who he really is that was delivered to people. John the Baptist came as a voice. He calls himself in John chapter 1, proclaiming that there was another one who was to come after him, that he was not the Christ. Verse 26 of John 1 says, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And then as Jesus appeared, John's declaration, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This being the first of the evidences that Jesus is going to bring up and say, look, I've explained to you who I am, who I am in relation to God. And now I'm going to tell you, in the midst of your accusation of me, I'm going to turn the tables around and actually bring an accusation to you. That accusation of your rejection of the many testimonies of who I am. So today, as we look at John the Baptist again, the title this morning is Power for Personal Testimony. We're obviously going to find a lot of things about John the Baptist and looking at his life and ministry that separate us in many ways. He was unique. He was the forerunner for Jesus, the one who was to come out before and roll out the red carpet, as it were, for the Messiah. We're not going to be doing that necessarily, but there is overlap that we need to notice. And we need to notice most importantly from this passage, I think, for our theme of sharing a testimony, of testifying to the Son of God in our own lives, the matter of the power behind that testimony, what it truly comes from. I don't know if you often run the battery out on your phone as much as I seem to. I seem to have to plug my phone in every time I get in my car or when I get to my desk or when I get to uh, the living room, you know, wherever I am, I feel like I'm plugging my phone in again. And, and we all know it's just this terrible uh, manufacturing ploy that's going on that your battery could last far longer than it really does. But over time, you know, it is meant to deteriorate more quickly. Um, I, I've invested in a small little portable charger to carry around with me, and I've noticed that it's been completely useless because I've never kept that charged either. I had all these great hopes of hopefully untethering my phone from the wall more often than it seems to be. And yet, because I've never charged that portable charger, it has become completely useless. Even at its most useful, it only carries so much charge. I can't continue to come back to this portable charger as often as I could, could to the wall outlet. Even the wall outlet itself, if I decide not to pay the electric bill, is not going to provide me the power that I need to charge this oh-so-important device that I carry around with me literally everywhere. Power is an important thing to us, even as we sit in this room right now with lights lit, with a, vo a voice magnified by um, a sound system that is plugged into the wall for electricity. Power is something re we rely on subconsciously or just unconsciously, moment by moment. Getting in our cars, turning on the water, 
something needs to cause everything that we do in our daily lives. So what when it comes to testimony? Jesus opens up this portion by saying, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. On the surface, we might look at that and say, that sounds very un-Jesus-like to say. We as a church want to emphasize the word of God. We, we emphasize the sufficiency of scripture to say that God's word is enough for us, for all we need for life and godliness. We can come to what he's spoken to us already clearly in his word. So when Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, that is, if, if only my words are telling you who I am, he says, my testimony is not true. Well, it certainly can't mean what we first intended to mean because that would contradict already what he said about the power of his voice being able to give life, his voice to give truth, and, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So as we look at this first phrase of Jesus, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true, he's talking about the conditions of his testimony. We know that there is power that is accompanying the testimony of Jesus. We've seen already in these first five chapters multiple signs. We've seen his work in calling disciples to himself, his interaction with the Samaritan woman, with Nicodemus, with the original disciples in the first two chapters. We see accompanying signs that verify the words of Jesus, and that is what he's talking about. Basically, he's saying in verse 31, if all you have is words without power, then there's nothing to believe. But the power is verified that Christ's words are true. And the power behind every word of Christ will always verify the truth of Christ's testimony. We know very clearly where the power of Christ's testimony comes from. But where is the power in your testimony coming from? Very good Sunday school answer is to say it is coming from Jesus. Right? It most certainly should. And it is certainly true that there is no other power source. You can't find some other option to plug into to find power for your testimony to the world about Christ. But I wonder this morning, if you had opportunity, if I called you up here and said, I'm not preaching the rest of the sermon, but I want you to come up and share something about Christ in your life. Is there power behind that? And how do you know? Christ has established his identity in this conversation. He's turning this accusation around. And in this beginning of verse 31 and 32, he's, he's turning around this accusation to say, you've accused me of blasphemy, of lying about who I really am. But I am now going to accuse you of the authenticity of the testimony you've heard. It's fascinating because while we might say, you know, if I were to come up and share something about God, I don't know that there would be a lot of power behind it. And this is the thought that comes through my mind almost every Sunday morning. Is there going to be any power behind what happens in the church service, particularly when it comes to the sermon? There's a great deal of trust that we need to put in the source of our power, the Holy Spirit speaking through us. And yet this accusation that Jesus is turning on the Pharisees, we can also turn on ourselves too. Has there been no power behind the word of God that you've heard? Have you not notice that have you not been changed by the power of god's word in your life because if that hasn't happened then there's no real reason to expect power to come when we testify to the word of christ as well 
when Jesus says that there is one who gives testimony to me in verse 32, another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true, it seems he's talking about John the Baptist. But in fact, he's speaking about his Father in heaven, who is continuing to bear witness to who his Son is because of, and through rather, all these evidences that we've seen in the first four chapters. And in chapter 5, healing this, this paralyzed man. So Jesus first appeals to, hey, look, my Father has verified everything that I've said and done. There is abundant evidence just simply through his ongoing testimony, the ever-present proof of truth in my ministry because of my Father. But then he comes to this and says, look, you don't know my Father. He's going to say that in John chapter 8. And where he goes in verse 33 to say, you sent to John is to say, it wasn't enough that God himself has testified to the validity and the truth of my words. But thankfully, there's another. And it's not to say that John the Baptist is someone he needs, because again, Jesus says, the testimony that I receive is not from man, but it is in fact through man, right? The testimony of Christ coming through John the Baptist, whom you sent to, he tells the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and even the crowd around him who at this point, had heard of John. John's ministry, we believe, is over. John the Baptist, his ministry is over of baptizing and preaching the coming of Christ, which gives us reason to believe, again, when he says there's someone else who bears testimony about me. Okay, it's not John, because he's no longer bearing testimony in the way that he did before. Either he's in prison or he's already been executed. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that I receive anything from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He's essentially saying you've been intrigued by the Baptist. You've been curious for a little while. You rejoiced for a while in his light, but then it ended. The intrigue was over, and you, cho you chose to move on and reject the truth of what he had said. Here also we see Jesus' salvation mission is very clear. Why am I saying these things? So that you may be saved. That is the mission of Christ. I say these things so that you may be saved. That is his primary concern. When it comes to healing the paralyzed man, he says, get up and walk, take your bed, go home. When he sees him again, though, what does he say? Look, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus does not come into our lives to make our lives cushy and perfect and nice here and now. His main concern is a matter of eternal salvation, to make things right between us and his Father. That is why he came. So from John in this passage, we have a call. We have an example in one sense of power in personal testimony. But from the Jews, from the Jewish leaders, we also have a warning that we need to follow. The call is to testify to Christ with bright and shining power. I don't know about you, I don't always feel like my testimony to Christ is bright and shining. To be completely honest, right now, I don't necessarily feel like it's bright and shining. And this is the moment that I would hope that it would be bright and shining more than anything else. Praise God, we do not rely on our feelings or our own sense of things, but on his own power. From the Jews, we have a warning about our reception of testimony. Do we receive only the testimony of man or do we see it for what it is when it is truly from God and look to him rather than an individual, rather than a temporary human witness? The salvation mission is clarified. It's 
It's something that leads us to listen very carefully to everything he says in the context of the matter of eternity more than just right now. Unfortunately, the listeners of Jesus right now had only rejoiced for a while in a temporary sense in the message of John. They only took interest for a moment. It was not an ongoing joy. It was not an ongoing obedience. It had an end date. So I wonder for you, I wonder for me, what is the condition for our ongoing joy in Christ? What needs to happen for us to say, I know I'm being that bright and shining testimony to Christ right now, as John the Baptist was, as Jesus describes him. We need to realize this morning our need for power through Christ for this testimony. Otherwise, we're in danger of burnout. We talk about and define burnout so much in the, in the work world sense, right? I'm burnt out. I've had such a heavy load. I've been working 40 plus hours, 50 plus hours a week. I, I have to take work home with me over the weekend. Uh, I, I have a day off coming up, but I have to work extra so that I can make that day off happen. I'm getting burnt out. Mom's at home. What a joy to be with your children all day, but is there a threat of burnout there? Absolutely. In any task that we see, there is the threat of burnout. In any any opportunity that we have to testify to Christ, that burnout can threaten our ability to walk in obedience to that. John was a bright and burning lamp for Christ, but the current audience was just a lamp for John. They were only interested in the light that he could give for a little while. They were curious about him. These Jews who so clearly reject Jesus as the Messiah did not reject the idea of Messiah. They just didn't like the way the Messiah had come and the message that he had for them. They wanted a Messiah of their own making. Jesus says in verse 35, I think what is even the most pointed portion of our problem and the problem of his audience, he says, you were willing temporary. The Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives a parable of different soils. And he says that there's one soil where the seed, which is the good news of Jesus, the, the truth of God, the seed comes into that soil and the seed sprouts up very quickly and it seems like it's good soil. But what happens? Cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful and withers away and dies. He says, you were willing for a while to rejoice in the light of that truth, but then you stopped. This should be one of the most terrifying things for a Christian to consider. What happens if tomorrow you say, I'm done with this? What's been the point? What happens if this afternoon you say, I don't see any power in my life from all this Christian stuff, all the time I've looked at God's word or the things that I've thought about God and tried to understand him or, or tried to sing from my heart with joy and, and, and give him the worship that apparently is due his name, I just don't believe it. You're out of your own willpower. Your own willpower will not last you long enough to endure in the race that Christ has you in. So today I want to ask you, do you feel burnt out even right now? And you may say, well, not spiritually, but my workload at my job or the stuff I'm doing at home, those things, it doesn't take long for those burnouts to burn through any area, area of your life and come down to the spiritual very quickly. You were willing for a while to rejoice in his light. 
when we run out of our will, when we run out of our own ability to trust in ourselves, which is impossible, but when we function as though that were true, we're showing that the lamp that we are is not a lamp that can contain the flame of Christ, but just simply contains the flame of our own life. We act as though we are not just the lamp, because you look at what Jesus calls John here in verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp. It's very important that Jesus doesn't say he was the light, because John, the author John, has already told us in John chapter 1, that Jesus was the true light, which gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. The world didn't know them. There's no one who could generate their own light of truth in and of themselves. None of us can do that. And even if you've walked with Christ for a long time, we're still in danger of relying on our own power day by day, thinking, I don't really know if I need to run to the word of God. I don't know if I need to run to, to prayer. I don't even know if I need to run to other believers. The things that God has given me to grow in him and to, to plug in for that real power, that endless supply Say, maybe I've got enough juice in my battery still here. 30% should get me through the rest of the day, right? Power save mode on. We, there's all sorts of things we can do with our phones to try to preserve that battery so that we don't have to come to that point of plugging it into the wall. What is it that we're doing with our lives to try to preserve that, that limited power that we perceive in ourselves when really we are powerless apart from Christ? The Pharisees were ones who were glad to look at their own wisdom and sufficiency, their own will. They were willing for a while to believe John the Baptist. They're willing to look at their own will and their own power to be their own lamp and light to themselves in order to direct what they ought to do and what they think they ought not to do. And yet when faced with the true life, true light rather, they reject Christ. If our Listening to the testimony of others about Christ only lasts for a little while when we actually come face to face with Christ, we will reject him. It is a fascinating thing because as we looked at judgment last week, and we see very clearly Jesus, as he's talking here, puts himself in the place of judge. The one who says, these are those who have done good, resurrection of life. These are those who have done evil, resurrection of judgment. He's the one who decides those things, and yet we make ourselves out to be the decider of those things. And so when those who are resurrected for judgment come before Christ, not only are they rejected by Christ, but they themselves will reject Christ as well. Because they've already decided in themselves that they are their own lamp, they are their own flame within that lamp. They have no need to trust Christ. We learned a little bit this morning about Martin Luther. And we, we saw very clearly, and you can see so much of his writings, his, his free admission that he realized his deepest problem with becoming right with God was the fact that he, in, the, in his heart of hearts, hated God. That's not anything anybody would like to say, I imagine. The, even in, in some cases, the, the most diehard atheists are unwilling to say, well, I don't hate God, even though I don't believe in him. It's impossible to hate somebody that you don't believe in. But, but Martin Luther gets to the heart of something that we see all throughout scriptures. Our, our deepest need is that like Paul says later on in the epistles in Ephesians that we were dead. We were enemies of God. Enemies, to have a relationship as an enemy to another is a relationship of hatred, not of love. In Christian church, we are not 
in danger in the way those who are outside of the faith in Christ are in danger, but we need to recognize our tendency to return to our own lamp, our own light, our own power, and take it very seriously. When faced with the true light, they reject him. Listen again from John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. His own people, the ones who were expecting and waiting for the Messiah. I don't think it matters how long we've walked with Christ. There is a continual need for us to recognize that Jesus is not at all what we've expected him to be. Not at all even what we in our own minds and our own will and our own perception would like him to be. He is who he is. And we need to face that fact seriously day by day. Jesus brings up John the Baptist to these people, to his audience, in a way of saying, remember that hope you had for the Messiah before you actually met the Messiah? That hope that when John the Baptist was out in the wilderness and wearing camel's hair and eating grasshoppers with honey dipped over him, such a weirdo that you just couldn't help but believe something of his message? Do you remember when that was going on? Could that be something that would help point us to Christ? He's, he says to them, could this be something, a reminder for you? I'm saying these things so that you can be saved. I'm not saying these things so that I can feel good about myself. I don't receive testimony from men. I don't need anybody to testify about who I am, Jesus says. I know who I am. My father testifies to who I am. But we sent John the Baptist so that you could be prepared. And clearly in this moment, Jesus' audience is unprepared. Christ has acted and has said these things so that they may be saved. In our own lives, do we recognize that as our deepest need? And in our lives in Christ, do we recognize that as the task that is set before us? Do we do what we do so that people might be saved? Or is that sort of an afterthought in some cases? It'd be nice if I had an opportunity. It'd be nice if, if maybe somebody would come to the Bible study with me from work or, or if I had an opportunity to pray with somebody, it'd be nice. But is that actually the goal that we have in mind? Are we ready for that to be the goal that we have in mind? Do we have the power for that to be effective in our personal testimony? Well, at the cross, we see that Jesus, who has no need for us, has in fact satisfied our great need for him and given us power in abundance to burn brightly as shining lamps. Again, verse 34, Jesus says, not that the testimony I receive is from man. He's, he's not interested in saying, can you guys just boast me up a little bit? That is not what he came to do. And, and if you need any moment in the ministry of Christ to look at, to see that he was not about himself, look no further than the cross. He became sin who knew no sin, so we might become the righteousness of God. We already sang it this morning and this is the mission of christ and this is the mission of a christian is to point continually back 
to what Jesus has done, to say the things that we say so that people might be saved, saved from trusting themselves, from burning their own flame and their own lamp, and, and rather becoming a lamp for Christ to shine with that kind of power of personal testimony that is beyond what we could do on our own. Jesus has not died at the cross to make it possible for us to be saved. His whole mission was to come so that we may be saved. Not just to make it possible, not just to offer something, but when he died on the cross, he died for those he knew he would save. He knew he would redeem. And yet we are faced with a choice. If you don't know Christ today, you are faced with a very serious choice. Do you believe the message of the gospel? Do you believe that what he's done, he's done on your behalf? To forgive you of all your sins, all your wrongdoings, everything that you've done contrary to what God's will is. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. This is what he did at the cross. And he didn't stay at the cross. His resurrection proves to us that he's conquered death, that salvation is abundantly available to all who will believe. And that from that, those who he does raise to life, uh, we learned last week in verse 26, nope, 25, when there, that there's an hour coming and is now here. And that hour is continuing today, church. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Spiritual death cured by the life-giving voice of Christ. And that from that, he gives us that light in ourselves, not of ourselves, but from him, so that we can bear testimony with power. And here are the things that he does for us that we see in this passage. First, he honors that testimony. He says of John the Baptist that he is born witness to the truth. If the matter of testifying to Christ comes down to the difficulty of loneliness in that mission, Christ is honoring your testimony. He is with you in the midst of that as you share him with others and proclaiming that you're bearing witness to the truth if you are sharing the gospel of Christ. John 12, 26, he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him as well. Secondly, verse 34, we see the direction of testimony, that you might be saved. The purpose of the testimony must line up with the purpose of Christ's testimony. We don't share Christ with people to get the pink chairs filled up on Sunday morning. We share Christ with people so that they might be saved. And so that the Lamb of God would receive the reward for his sufferings. He honors the testimony of his people. He directs the testimony of his people. And he empowers the testimony of his people. He says in verse 35 that John was a burning and shining lamp. Where is that burning and shining coming from? If we haven't said enough already, Jesus is the true light that comes into the world that all might believe in him. John, we saw John the Baptist in chapter 1, was not that light. It is not of ourselves. He does not call us to take everything that we have on our own and make it useful for the kingdom of God. He calls us to come empty-handed and to receive his power instead. So Christ honors the testimony of his people, he directs the testimony of his people, and he empowers the testimony of his people. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that continually. Otherwise, it's very clear why there is inactivity on the part of my testimony of Christ. We need to repent and believe, or we need to repent and return. Whatever we need to do, we need to come back to this power source for initial salvation in our own hearts and lives and to be refreshed by that 
so that we might be on mission with him. John the Baptist represents two things for us. First, a unique role that's unrepeatable. He was the forerunner. He was the one prophesied of before. We're not going to be doing that. He says of himself, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We recognize that he has a unique role that's unrepeatable, but we also see in John the Baptist a model of trust in the power of Christ for his testimony. He was all about the, the first questioning of the Pharisees to him, which was, are you the Christ? No, I'm not the Christ. That's the first thing you need to know about me. I am not the Christ. I'm coming before him. I'm a burning and shining lamp. So there's a unique role that's unrepeatable, but there's also a model of trust in the power of Christ that we need to follow with John the Baptist. And so he's different, but he's also similar because even though we're not forerunners, we also have a unique role. You have a unique role that is unrepeatable in your own life because of where you work, where you live, who you know, what your skills are, all of those things catered specifically designed for your life to be a testimony, to bear the light of the power of Christ to others. Not the same lamp, but we are a lamp all the same. We are called to shine brightly the power of Christ. Luke 1.15, when John's father Zechariah was being told about his son and what he would do. The message was, for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Christian, if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. There's, there's nothing that we could look to at John the Baptist and say, well, God has not provided for me what he's provided for John to be such a great and shining lamp. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water. Sorry, John says this. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. His sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is what we need. I know it's probably seemed like through this series on John, every week it's like, go testify, go testify, go testify. And spoiler alert, it's not going to change. Maybe... No, it's not. This is so clearly what John, the author, wants to get us to, is to realizing that, you know, all these things were written so that we might believe, and they're all written as a testimony that we are then meant to share in our own lives, in our own contexts. So I have a few questions for you as we come to communion. Where is the power in your testimony today? Is it in yourself? Are you carrying around a dead, portable phone charger that's not going to do you any good? Are you plugged into the true power source, the Holy Spirit that Christ has come to baptize us with? Not just for testimony, though that is what we're talking about here, but also for all of Christian living that feeds into your testimony. The testimony is not, hey, look at how good I am now that God, no, look at how desperately I depend on Christ so that when I tell you that he is all you need, you know that my testimony matches up with that message. Where is the power in your testimony? Secondly, maybe out of order, do you feel burnt out today? Is there faith in your heart that if you were to simply plug back into that power source, that that would be the cure to your burnout? There's certainly more to it in so many cases. There's, there's things that we need to examine in our lives. There's relationships we need to you know, bring before the Lord and trust him with. There's a lot of those things, but it starts with making sure that we are plugged into the right power source. So do you feel burnt out and are you ready to correct that? Are you ready to come to the source of power that we need? Do you truly long for salvation for the lost as Christ does? Is that why you're here? 
Is that why you're here on this earth? Is that why you do what you do? It's not always the forefront of my mind, I know. More often than not, I have some other motivation. But Christ's motivation was clear. And when I look to him and when I'm plugged into his power by his spirit, I can see clearly that that's what he has here, me here for as well.